It's time we honor the biggest lie ever told, that if we made money as a business owner or hit a certain dollar amount, our problems would suddenly go away, right? My name is Cheryl Dorsey. I'm a data journalist, a tech founder, and a longtime entrepreneur, an author, a speaker, and have done what feels like all the things. Yet I still wonder on a daily basis, am I doing this right? As entrepreneurs, we provide more time than we have, risk more money than most, and sell or are sold to more than we would like to admit. It's my mission through this show to give you a space to honor the powerful builder and CEO in you, even when sometimes it feels like no one should have left you in charge. Incredible work doesn't come without painful lessons. Welcome to I think I'm doing this right. Welcome back to I Think I'm Doing This Right. Today, my guest is Khadijah Robinson, founder of The Nihilist, an e-commerce directory for Black businesses that connects shoppers with Black makers, creatives, and services. Her platform even caught the eye of Diddy, a.k.a. Puff Daddy, a.k.a. Brother Love, I have no idea which era in which his new name is, but hopefully we've covered all of our bases. And under Combs Enterprises, she is building out something super fantastic that will be launching soon. Khadijah is a Spellman woman. I don't know if I ever told you, but I always wanted to be a Spellman woman. (laughs) So maybe you'll let me get a a sweatshirt or something at some point. (laughs) And she also graduated from Harvard Law. She sold a company by the age of 33. And all I all I all I know is that I got a chance to meet you. And I think like within a day or so you're like let's do brunch. And it is so dope to like be in your orbit and to see all of your successes. But more important, your commitment specifically to the elevation of black folks and black entrepreneurs in particular. So we're welcoming Khadijah Robinson. How are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Like you've accomplished a lot in a short period of time. Oh, I'm tired today. <laughs> Honest answers. Tired. Um, it, it's exciting. Yeah. It's also overwhelming. People never really prepare you for the full. Um, like the full ups and downs of what it means to be successful on right. the path of a startup. And it's, it's, it's always more next level. Got to do the next thing. It's like, Oh my gosh, I sold my company yeah. and now I'm building out the next yes. one. <laughs> do you feel like you're catching up to yourself? Um, I feel like I am definitely becoming the version of me that I was meant to be. Mm. But it's a it's scary and it's a little overwhelming because yeah. I've always been very type A and I've always been very much like this is my plan and this is my life and I'm going right. to do this. I decided I was going to spell me when I was eight. I decided I was going to be a lawyer in middle school and I did all of these things. And then now my life is a complete radical departure from everything that right. I thought I was going to be doing. So it is amazing and it's exciting and it's fun to become this new person and to design your life. But it's also really crazy and yeah. it can be disorienting. So, 
And you also made not just a big move career-wise, going from practicing law and then building out something that, did you imagine as you were starting out, you would be selling to like an international music star? executive like (laughs) like that had to be like the craziest wildest like transition um you know I think by the time you've been an entrepreneur for a certain amount of time you realize that like everything is crazy nothing makes sense so you just (laughs) you start being like okay yeah my phone rang and it's like Combs team okay cool this is what we're gonna do and you you start getting used to new realities basically every day Mm -hmm. Um, because if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur you have to be able to do that you have to be so adaptable and be ready to take all kinds of curveballs, both good and bad. But no, I did not imagine when I started The Nihilist, which was literally just a Google spreadsheet, that at some point I would sell it to Combs and then join Combs as CEO of this new endeavor and build this out. I, not even in my purview at all. Yeah. Was there ever a time where you felt like, I am way in over my head here, or now I have to build a team. I have to work with, you know, someone who has clearly had so many wins throughout their career. Like, what were some of those, like, maybe intimidating, you know, factors as you were making these transitions? There are so many intimidating factors of being an entrepreneur. I feel like every day you're just like... (laughs) What am I doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, it's inherent in making something out of nothing. Right. And if you're building a startup, almost always you're building something that's unique that people have never mm-hmm. done before. And that is inherently scary as shit. It's yeah, like, yeah. I am I am building a house with no blueprint and I ain't an architect and I ain't an engineer. I'm just a person but who we gonna do really it. wants a house. Right. And I think houses should be built this way and I'm gonna try and see if it collapses mm-hmm. or not. And right. every day you're just like, ooh, maybe that brick shouldn't go there because that's looking a little wobbly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I it's, love this analogy, by the way. Especially considering that you, that you just bought a house. I do. Or you bought, a, you bought another house. I did. And you've made a major move. So that's why I, I think about, like, have you fully caught up with yourself? Have you really, like, rested in this idea of all the transitions that have taken shape in the last, like, year alone? And I think as, as long as I've known you, I feel like, oh, oh, she's moving in a groove. And she's like, oh, I'm moving back to Georgia from D.C. Like, talk to me about how that whole thing has been. Um, it's been fun. So I'm originally from Savannah mm-hmm. and I've wanted to come back to Georgia for a very long time. When I was an attorney, it was really difficult because I was in this realm of international law yeah. and the centers for the type of law that I was practicing were New York, DC. So if I wanted to be South, I had no real option except go to D.C., which is not the South. It's the Mid-Atlantic. I'll fight anybody who tries to tell me it's the South. It's very <laughs> You different. Southerners are very territorial. I think anyone like from the North, though, feels like anything below a certain Mm-mm. demarcation is like Southern, right? It's like I'm from Seattle, so I'm like anything that's going to be like past California, everybody's Southern. Everybody's like... <laughs> 
<laughs> listening to Andre 3000 and like eating, you know, greens mm, and chicken. Mm, no, we are very, very, very different, um, very different places. But I really was excited to come back to Atlanta, uh, particularly with what has been happening here recently with black startups, black companies, and just this sort of renaissance and rise of black yeah. tech here. It's been a draw for me. And so mm. I realized as I was transitioning out of my law firm and into full-time entrepreneur life, like this is my opportunity to not just say that this is what I wanna do, but just do it because yeah. what's stopping Step me? Step into it. So I just did it, which is basically half of the things that you do as an entrepreneur you're like well i'm gonna just do it and see what happens and see what happens because i can always use my harvard degree <laughs> what kind of law did you practice so i focused on um foreign corruption and also customs Ooh. so both international spin on the corruption side we were usually doing internal investigations mm -hmm. for companies that had a whistleblower or were under investigation externally for potential bribery uh, in whatever foreign jurisdiction. And then for custom side, we had a lot of corporate clients who were importing goods into the country and have whatever challenges. There is a myriad of issues and it's a very um, under sort of, <laughs> Um, research. No, I don't want to say research, but people don't really pay attention to it as much as they should. So we yeah. got a lot of clients who were like, I never even thought about customs laws until my stuff got stopped at the border. Oh, wow. Um, so wait, so, so y'all were investigating, y'all were investigating like corruption at the border itself, not with your clients. We were investigating corruption unrelated to custom stuff, but then I also did this importation side of things. And there's loads of not necessarily in at US borders, but going into foreign jurisdictions, there can be loads of issues with respect to corruption. But coming into US borders, there's just all kinds of issues. You have trademark infringement of right. products, all kinds of stuff. I was gonna say like the fake like Chanel bags and stuff. <laughs> I was just reading the article about like all the rich ladies in Manhattan who buy like the fake Birkins. So with those, it, it can be difficult. Okay. But, um, you know, if you're a trademark holder, you can register your trademark with Border Patrol. And then mm. if something comes in that's infringing on your trademark or your copyright or whatever, then they can stop it. Um, now, they, they don't stop everything. They of can't course, stop everything. Course. But we, we definitely had some clients who uh, ran into some issues there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which can be fun. It's interesting, but... Um, it was a lot of times intellectual and it could be somewhat stimulating to dive into these issues. But at the baseline, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, you know, if I have big pharmaceutical client, I don't care whether they get fined a hundred million dollars yeah. or not. I don't like this pharmaceutical company probably is not improving the world that much. You're right, probably right. price gouging people yeah. for stuff. So it's like, I wasn't ever just really invested in my clients, Okay, the paying clients. I did a lot of pro bono work, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was very fulfilling, um, particularly doing family law stuff, mm -hmm. because you 
you get to help people when they are in their most poignant crises modes, like when it's involving their kids and their families, people are, you know, in, in severe crisis, but it's outside of that work, which was a small sliver of what I did. It just wasn't fulfilling. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I want to be with black people doing things for black people, doing stuff that makes me actually feel like I'm contributing something outside of helping this bank dodge a fine. <laughs> right, right. And so was that the foundation for the nihilist? Or I feel like you embody a lot of that in your life. Like, you know, from who you hire to the products you have in your home, it is blackity black, 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 right? Which I love because I'm like, ooh, where'd you get those earrings? Where'd you get those knives set? Even down to like your air fryer, which I was like, my air fryer let me, let me, is black. My air fryer is black. My Lambo's blue. Like, yes, all the things. But like, I feel like 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 was the nihilist just just a just a kind of a kind of that next level for you of a lifestyle that you are living and like how did you know that this was going to be a way that like you could you know separate yourself from like kind of your your corporate law environment and can be a contributor to this idea of like supporting communities supporting business owners so the nihilist actually was born because I was extremely pissed off (laughs) And angry for like months on end. Mm. So um, part of being a lawyer, corporate law firms, a a lot of the younger lawyers will look to do clerkships with federal court judges. It's very prestigious. And these positions are really sought after. It's supposed to be this good like jumpstart for your career Mm -hmm. when you're really early on. And so people usually do it somewhere either immediately out of law school or within their first three or four years. They'll try to. And I, when I was in my first year at my law firm, applied to do a clerkship. Um, It is so competitive that I applied in 2016 and secured the position to start in 2018. Wow. So it's literally like a two year lead to to start this job. Wow. And I thought in my type A planning of my life that I was going to work for the total three years at the law firm. I go do this clerkship with a federal court judge in the U.S. um, District Court of D.C., which is, you know, extremely Mm -hmm. competitive to get into. And then I would leave there. I would go to a U.S. attorney's office and then I was going to be this fabulous prosecutor. I was going to be in court all the time Uh doing my whole law order thing. My whole law order. I love that. (laughs) And it is, I was... Let's say I was disabused of all of these notions once I started my clerkship Mm -hmm. and I realized that it was just a never ending cycle of black people being Mm -hmm. ground down into the actual dust by a completely broken criminal justice system Mm -hmm. that is. Well, actually, I take that back. I hate to say the criminal justice system is broken because it's not. This is what it was meant to do. Fundamentally, Fundamentally every aspect of this system was designed to do this, to keep us in the exact position that Mm. we are. And it was so disheartening. I was so, I was the only black clerk that my judge had ever had. Wow. I was. And this is 2018. This was 2018. Okay. And I was, I was in this 
it was like a little bubble and it was so crazy because the people who were coming in as defendants were the ones that looked like me mm -hmm. everybody else did it and it was a it was a completely disconcerting experience my clerks my co-clerks didn't get it because you know it is i'm like for for us for a lot of black folks me included like i had an uncle in jail around that time so mm -hmm. i'm like this literally could be my family member right and you see the big and the small ways that this system just deprives people of life it mm. literally deprives us of life and freedom and any kind of mobility mm -hmm. and i was angry i was pissed i was in there literally on edge mad all the time yeah and just so frustrated and i i was like i can't be a prosecutor i saw the prosecutors coming in a courtroom and i was like there's no way i could ever sleep at night mm -hmm. if i become this person especially seeing the black prosecutors, I was looking at them and I'm like, how do you do this work? How do you do this? And I'm yeah. sure that they at some point thought like I did, they would go in and they would change the system from the inside. And that's not possible. I talked to one of my really good friends from law school mm. who wrote a book called uh, Becoming an Abolitionist. It's mm. excellent. And she and I were talking and I was like, I had this realization when I was in my clerkship that this system is unchangeable. You have to destroy it. Yeah. You, if abolition is the only way because if I, if I take the keyboard off of my laptop and I decide I'm gonna start switching around letters and I'm gonna put the W where the O used to be, it literally does not matter that that key is different when I hit that Oh, it's gonna be a oh, it's not a gonna w. be a, it's right. no, it's not right. gonna be a W just because the key that I put in there says W. So switching out a black prosecutor mm. or a black judge or a black you know district or whatever, it doesn't make a difference. Mm. If you change the levers in a system, it makes absolutely no difference because when you pull the lever, the same thing happens. Right, and right. so it was so frustrating to not only have this realization and just see folks every day who are at their worst and who don't stand a chance in the system. Um, and then I'm also going through my own like, I don't know, quarter life crisis at the time. Right. I was gonna ask because <laughs> to come to, to be in the midst of all of that and to be processing this at such a young age, and then that I was is like, that quarter life crisis. I thought I was gonna do this afterwards right. and now I can't do that. So like, what am I actually gonna do? Right. And I was just kind of adrift. I was I was going through it. And yeah. so it- But your quarter life crisis was like, it seems as though at least you kind of still had a trajectory. I went and slept on a beach <laughs> in Santa Monica at a stranger's house. And I was like, Wait. You know, I started getting real into abolition literature. My judge hated to see me coming in in the morning because I had a new article for him every day. I'm like, did you read this article about <laughs> how yoga in prisons can decrease instead of adding pe onto people's mm -hmm. sentence? Maybe we should be giving them yoga classes. So yoga and he classes was like, in jail. yoga. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was, but it was so funny because I, to him, wow. I sounded crazy in 2018 talking about abolition and when you're a federal court judge, you have a lifetime appointment. 
And I told him at one point, he we were talking about a sentencing, a potential sentencing for a defendant. And I said, don't sentence them to anything. You actually, unless there's a mandatory minimum by law, you have no obligation to ever put anybody in prison. Mm. You can let everybody get, that comes in here go, and nobody can do anything. Mm. You can't be removed. Were and- they receptive to that? <laughs> he, I mean, we know like yoga, the yoga thing was like, all right. Hey, I sounded, but- you know what the thing is? I sounded crazy in 2018, but then guess what? In 2020, went the murder uh, the, of Derek. It's just, so with George Floyd and this, the whole aftermath of that, people started talking about abolition in a way that they had never talked about before. Right, right. So now the same people who were telling me I sounded crazy, I used to argue with my parents and my parents were very much in this, in the um, era of black folks who were like, you know, law and order, you have to have, we have to have, you know, keep us safe, keep our neighborhood safe. And I was talking to them about abolition and my parents thought I was, I was sounding crazy. Right. And then the conversations that we started having just a couple of years later were mm. so different mm. that it, it gave me a lot of hope. Either way, I knew I couldn't be a prosecutor. And it sounds a little bit flippant, but my my hobby and my like escape at the time was just online shopping. Anytime I got stressed, I was like some good old retail therapy. I think we can attest to that therapy. I have so many things being delivered to your house that I'm like, I don't even remember buying this, but I have a whole new summer wardrobe, so we're gonna be in the streets. It's the best when you don't remember buying something and gets there. You're like, oh, what is this? What is this? It's like a present. Somebody it's got like Christmas. Oh, I got it for myself. Okay. <laughs> it's like Christmas every day. Like, what? Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> but the retail therapy was real. And what I did was I committed to buying black. And I was like, if we can't do anything, if right. I can't do anything else except argue with my judge about somebody's sentence every so often, right. I am going to do this one small thing mm-hmm. as a purchaser, as a consumer, as a person who is buying stuff on the internet, I'm going to buy it from somebody black. And I just started making a Google spreadsheet of like the black brands that I shopped with, that I wanted to shop with, that Mm -hmm. somebody told me about. I was keeping on my radar to potentially shop with one day. And it grew, it it became just my, first it was my hobby, just like stress reliever. I'm going to, I'm just going, like, oh, y'all over here putting black people in prison, let me. Let me just go look up some swimsuits from right, a black right, right. for my next vacation because right. y'all get y'all killing me. And then I realized that as I started talking about it with family and friends, they were so interested, and people were like, "Wait, you got a black swimsuit company? Let me get that. Right. I want a black swimsuit." And it was so much fun. It was it yeah. was so it was amazing to realize that other people were interested in just taking a small step to try to do something different. Right. Um, And I started building out from my Google spreadsheet, The Nihilist, which uh, at first was just like little website. I was throw up. I'm Uh like, okay, you can come on here. Did you make it yourself? Did you make your own website or did you get The first iteration of the website I made myself, which, (laughs) 
was... You got to be embarrassed by like the first one. But Girl, you're so proud. You're like, I did this myself. It's real raggedy, but it's going yeah. to work. One of my friends was involved in the beginning. She got me off to a good start. Nice. And then, you know, I, I made this website and then I hired some folks and I was like, okay, I'll make an inexpensive website. People be able to just search for the product that they want to buy. We'll right. tell them a black company that's, that sells products online that makes that and they can buy it and have mm -hmm. it shipped to wherever they are and just try to make it a little bit easier for people to be able to buy black. Yeah. And that evolved and grew into all kinds of things that I never anticipated. I mean, clearly, <laughs> I mean, you had Diddy, Brother Love, Puff Daddy, Reach all the way out, Sean Combs, like give you a ring. Now, where did the name the Nile list come from? That actually was the suggestion of my friend Jared, one of my mm. childhood friends growing up in Savannah. Um, and he moved to DC and he and I have been just friends for a long time. And as I was talking about what I was building and the inspiration, what I wanted to do, he was like, ooh. It's it's gonna be like it's 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 gonna be like like Nile. I think that's like a the good Nile name. River. Like the Nile okay. River. Okay, I wanted to make sure I was like, <laughs> I feel like that's the association, but like, let me actually ask. Yeah, and it it's, I mean, the history of Nile, uh, the the actual river is mm -hmm. so important to that region of Africa. It was so critical to commerce, to people being able to transact with one another, connecting wow. communities, connecting people in this entire region. And that's what I wanted to do. I'm like, we, yeah. we are connecting people and we are facilitating this stream of commerce. And so it was just such a perfect name. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I ran with it. It was the Nile list. And, um, and yeah, it, it, we, <laughs> we launched the actual platform March, 2020. Mm. And then the world went. Your timing had had to be like insane. Yes. That was insane. It was. It was. And it's so funny because sometimes as an entrepreneur, people will tell you, slow down. You have to do it all at once. Take breaks. You know, I had, I was giving myself so much anxiety. Mm. I was so stressed. I was up at all kinds of crazy hours, running like a chicken without a head, losing weight because I had set this deadline that we were gonna launch on March 1st. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we, I'm planning a launch event. It's gonna be a couple hundred people here. And I'm planning, and, and we gotta have a website to show these right. people. And we gotta do all these things. And I don't care, I gotta stay up till five o'clock in the morning every day to do it. And several times people were like, you know, you can relax like mm -hmm. you are the only one who's on this timeline yeah. and so if yeah. you if you want to if you feel like you need a little bit more time just take a little bit more time and mm -hmm. i refuse i was just like no they were i was this is my plan i was compelled right <laughs> i don't know what it was that had a hold of me but i was compelled that we were going to launch in march and we weren't going to push it out till april or may and it was so crazy because I launched and then literally two weeks later, the world started the world. shutting yeah. down. Yeah. Everybody started buying things online. So immediately our traffic skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. And then two months later, George Floyd was murdered. And then everybody was thinking about how they could do something. And right. that's something and for a lot of people. And all those black lists were exploding across like all the mainstream media. And right. it 
just exploded. And so I was like, I don't know what it was. I don't know what spirit it was that had a hold on me that told me I had to launch on March 1st that kept me up all night, mm. all them nights. But it's one of the times that I'm happy I did it. Now, there are other times where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sit down. I'm going right. to just push this Have back. Have my rest. Have my rest. Exactly. Push this back. But mm. there are times as an entrepreneur where you just have to do what your gut is telling you to do and what you're compelled to yeah. do, even if it is painful in the process. Right. Right. So the nihilist it sounds like it was your first entrepreneurial endeavor or were there others it was and actually i mean that's wild like for your first to knock it out of the park you know how many times i have failed i have failed like i'm on like business number seven and i'm like lord just help help this like to work out and you're like yeah and then months later i get a call from diddy and i sold my company and now here i am like well it's so crazy because for months, I didn't even think about it as a business. Mm. I was like, well, I'm just gonna make a website and people could come to the website and they could find stuff. Mm -hmm. And and <laughs> I wasn't thinking about monetizing. I wasn't thinking right. about potentially sell. I, I couldn't have even told you like what the difference between a startup and any other business was at right. that point. I couldn't, I knew what the words venture capital meant Separately, I didn't know what they meant together. I was <laughs> not in this. This was not in, in my purview at all. Yeah. And so it really just was a, a an eye-opening process. Mm -hmm. And things just happened, which I think it's uh, some of it is dumb luck. I, I hate when people try to tell you, like, this is the blueprint for, you know, how you sell a company and buy my ebook right where i tell you how to sell my ebook so and come to my mastermind class <laughs> you know and i'm like no because <laughs> the way that i sold my company no one else is ever going to do that again right. and i would be completely remiss if i tried to tell people like this is how you do it mm -hmm. honestly you do it by solving a problem mm -hmm. and doing the best that you can and having luck and coincidence and people who are on your side who speak your name in rooms that you are not in and like you can't really control for all those things so you just gotta do the best that you can right. and and right. try to solve a, an interesting problem Hey folks, my new podcast is not the only place to get tips and gems and updates from me. You can also go to my website at ShereldDorsey.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter, where I share thoughtful essays on productivity, innovation, business, as well as new projects I'm working on. I'd love to have you share this podcast and give me a shout on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or wherever you're being social these days. And if you're enjoying the content thus far, don't forget to leave your girl a review. Okay, now back to the show. When you were building this, was there for you this idea of building something the right way or feeling like in this journey, you have to do it right? Especially, I think, being like eight and saying like, look, here's my 10 year plan and I'm going to do all of these things. Like, it seems like you had such a very clear vision for yourself to have to kind of revert and like choose a different path. But did you still feel sort of like, OK, I, I think I'm doing this right. I think this is going to be the pathway. Listen, I I I had no idea what I was doing 
and I still felt an enormous amount of pressure to do it right. Mm-hmm. I am I am that person who like tweets for all the magnet school kids who like never failed at anything in their lives, <laughs> and then they go out into the real world and life and is like, like I don't get an A, right? <laughs> B, Where's my A? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Can I do some extra credit? <laughs> like, right. I don't I don't understand. What do you mean I'm not magna cum laude? What right. do you mean? Like right. I don't get it. So it's funny because you. I had this whole trajectory. I always excelled at school. Mm-hmm. I always was doing all my extracurricular activities. I was always getting super high test results and I was always on it. Like, I'm gonna do this, I have this plan. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do a master's before I went to law school. Did that, did that, went to this top law school, went to the top law firm, got the prestigious clerkship, did all these things. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because then you kind of like, you kind of fall off a, a little mini cliff when you mm-hmm. realize that you've done all the right things at, that you thought you should do mm. and you're not enjoying any of this shit. And then <laughs> you're like, well, well now what do I do? Because I, right. I always right. say, I don't want to be like middle aged and realize I hate my life. Mm. And I was looking around the law, like not even just my law firm, but just law realm in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the statistics are crazy. 20 something percent of attorneys are drug addicts or alcoholics. Wow. And I looked around my law firm and saw these old men literally wheeling oxygen tanks around, still coming into the office because what the hell else are they gonna do in this world where they've only gone to the office and worked their whole life? And you probably don't know your families like that. Mm -hmm. You probably don't have any extracurriculars or any hobbies or anything's Mm -hmm. going on. You older than Methuselah, you know, (laughs) dictating a letter to your secretary because you can't even type. And you still at the office. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. That looks terrible. That's deep. And so I'm like, well, if, if I don't want to do what this, what is like the end point of this trajectory? Well, what the fuck am I doing on this trajectory? Right. And what did I do it right? If right. I'm here and I don't really want to be here. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you like, then once you fall off that cliff and you're after you, uh, the blueprint is like complete. Mm-hmm. Like there's no next step. It's not like, after I go to college, I go to grad school, and yeah. then I get this job, and then I get this promotion. You're, you're kind of like, okay, well, <laughs> I don't know. What, right, right. what is the next step? What is the next doing it right? Yeah. And um, I have concluded that there is no doing it right. You just try some shit and see if you like it and if it works. And if you don't quit, I am a, such a huge advocate for quitting now. Mm. I hate people who are like, oh, I don't like quitters and you gotta see it through to the end. And I'm like, why? Why would you be miserable in anything? Right. Like, who, who are you proving this to? Who are you proving it to? Like, right. you don't get a star, a gold star in heaven for like being a martyr and suffering through to the end of some shit that you didn't like. Whether it's a job, whether it's a marriage, whether it's where you live, anything. So mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. I don't like this no more. I quit. I don't want to do this. Mm-mm. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Oh, I love that. I love that. 
And so now, how do you think about your lifestyle design and how that fits into this new version of yourself as an entrepreneur, as someone leading an incredible business and will likely lead more businesses? Because I feel like I feel like the energy you're giving me is like, oh, yeah, I'm just getting started. Yeah, I have a couple more things I want to do before I quit the entrepreneur life. Um, but it is... I don't know. You just, I just make it up as I go. I'm, I'm like, as long as I, one of the best things that I ever did, number one, is therapy. Like, Mm. please, if founders, please anybody, just, just everybody, do the the therapy. We all need therapy. therapy. I love that so many more people are doing it and talking about it. It's been so critical for Mm. me. And one of the most helpful things that I did with my therapist at the onset was I talked about what my values were in Mm. life. Like, what do I hold dear? What do I value? What do I want to see in my life? And what's important to me? Is it family? Is it community? Is it, um, you know, a certain measure of success? Like, what is it? Is it knowledge? Mm -hmm. What is it that is important to me? And defining what it was that I valued in my life has been so critical because after that, there are no more wrong choices. Like mm, I might- I love that. There I are might, no more wrong choices. There are no more wrong choices. Yeah. It's like, if I am doing something that is in alignment with my values, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. I learned something interesting. You know, I might get a little bit scuffed up or in, or maybe it's gonna be really mm-hmm. cool and it's gonna work out. But either way, I'm doing what is true to me and what I want to see for my life. Mm-hmm. So it's right, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's your kind of right or right for you for whatever And that's stage. all that matters. Cause like, who else do I need to be right for? I guess I got to stay out of prison. So I, I mean, can't clearly, do, we can't, I can't do anything clearly they're not gonna let you uh, do any uh, savasanas in, 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 in the cell. So, so tell me, tell me about how your family has, I don't even want to say coped, but as you made your transition, you know, from, I can only imagine growing up in a household with you. Like Khadijah is focused, right? To I was oh, something I heard. You sold your company. You're doing this, you're doing that. Like what was that like for them? You know, my parents are so proud. It's mm. so funny. They are so um they're <laughs> they're parents, so they'd be like <laughs> talking to all kinds of random people about what their <laughs> daughter did and you know and my daughter and blah, 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 blah. so you meet some of their friends and they're like I've heard all about you and you know I, I don't know if other entrepreneurs experience this but like your parents don't really ever quite fully know what it is oh, no. that you do so they- my mother tells people that I do social media <laughs> We were like, like at Thanksgiving, she's like, yeah, you know, she does social media. She has a book. And my mother's my best PR. Cause she'll be in the like family group chat. Like, oh, look, read this article about Sherelle. Read it. And I'm like, are you reading it? Cause you still don't know that. She like, she has a book. I don't know what the book is about, but I know but that she, she got, got the book, okay? <laughs> and your mama would be like, the, the church group wants to buy 10 copies of your book. Yes. And I, I told them that it's an excellent read. <laughs> like, mama, you ain't read that. You can't read my book. But she got about 20 of them. You're right. like, everybody's gonna get these Give for Christmas. Give it up for Christmas, yes, girl. <laughs> 
I love Black Mama PR. It's I the best. I love it too. I love it too. And I don't know if anybody else's parents do this, but my parents love to meet somebody that they think is interesting that I should know, and they call me on the spot and be like, "Here, talk to uh, I just I just met so and so. Here, you talk to them." And I'm like, "Lord, have in mercy. the middle of the work, uh, in the middle of the work day, in the middle of the day, it's two p.m." And my mom And you better <laughs> talk to them. And that's the thing too. You better not embarrass. You better <laughs> and get on the phone. How you do? Hello. Uh-huh. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, that's lovely. Okay. <laughs> but they are they are so proud and they're so that. encouraging. They are always there anytime. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I when I have my launch party and I'm like, I need somebody to to take these trays and put them over there. Any little thing like that, my mm. my family is down for. And so they have always shown up for me, not even just my parents, mm-hmm. my family is huge and we roll deep. We we have our own hashtag that we use on all our social posts. Who oh needs gosh. friends when you have cousins? Yes, <laughs> yes, cousins are the best. And so we are oh like, because we, we roll deep. So for example, when I graduated from Harvard, for my law degree, I had 55 guests, I think. It was huge. It was like a little family reunion for yeah. us. I had so much family show up and it was so funny because one of the one of these um, non-melanated people in the dean's office when I went to go pick <laughs> up my tickets for graduation was like, oh, are you like a, a first generation college student? I was like, no, actually, my father is a professor. My mother is an accountant. Are you a first-generation college right. student? Right. Hey, sis. <laughs> my family just likes to support me when I do right. good things. Is it okay with you, boo? Um, <laughs> anyways, I digress. My family is very proud. They always support me. They are always sending me interesting companies big up in me when they come across folks connecting me with interesting people so um i appreciate them i i love them i couldn't do it without them family was one of the first values that i (laughs) i defined out with my therapist and I'm like, I, now nah, I love y'all, but I will, I, I'll put y'all on ice if y'all Right, need. right, if you, you start acting up. If y'all start acting up. <laughs> you start messing up the money. <laughs> I have to have a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> but they have been absolutely amazing. So it's, it is, these are the little things that people don't, um, that, that people, you can't quantify on the entrepreneurial journey and you can't make up for it mm-hmm. if you don't have it. So it, again, it's hard for me to be like, oh, do this like I did. Right. And you can sell your company like I did when it's like, oh, but I also had a street team of cousins when I'm like, I want to go hand out flyers for this thing who are like <laughs> happy to walk up to strangers and hand out flyers. Because... Come check out my cousin's event. <laughs> right, <you know? laughs> I don't know what she does, but and if you come through. If you don't right. have that, it's so difficult to mm. tell the next person, just do this without thinking about all of the little things that that add up that right. helped you along the way. I love that there's such richness in that. Um, as you were speaking, it just made me think about how when we talk about, especially in entrepreneurship and being able to raise a friends and family round and not all of us have that access, right? And there seems to be this this deficit narrative, right? Or even as you're talking about going to the dean's office to pick up your graduation tickets from Harvard Law 
and someone typecasting you as, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever this kind of deficit narrative language um, that has really, really has, especially when I think of of media, of course, has kind of said like, okay, hey, Black America, how does it feel to be a problem consistently, (laughs) right? And it made me think so much about how community sometimes is our superpower and how that is an asset in and of itself that we have to like remember. You Damn, know, definitely. I think about even graduating from high school and like my mom throwing me, you know, me and my friends like a party and, you know, cousins and play cousins and all them like chipping in to buy my first laptop. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, I may not have had all of these other like bells and whistles, but I had people who was going to show up and fry some fish mm-hmm. and come celebrate, oh, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. And that is an asset class within itself. Huge. It is one of the things that, I, first of all, I ride or die for HBCUs mm-hmm. all day long. This is one of the reasons why, because that community, that that Spelman bond mm-hmm. unparalleled. I will. I'm gonna go get me a sweatshirt. <laughs> I'm gonna get me a sweatshirt. Listen, I will never forget. I was so broke in college. I was broke to the level of like, okay, if I buy, you know, the cereal on BOGO and then get the milk, that could be my breakfast and my lunch <laughs> for at least three days this week. <laughs> and then all I need the is to sneak so. into the cafeteria and then I could smuggle out some food for dinner. <laughs> and I was over here piecing together how we were gonna make it. Right. And I went to do a summer internship after my freshman year in New York. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, the alumni chapter in New York just reached out to the students' office at Spelman, asked for any um, names and email addresses of any students that they knew of who were doing internships in New York for the summer so they could invite them to this alumni event that they were having. Mm-hmm. And so we go to this little mixer, you know, we're little bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, okay. 18, 19-year-olds, um, feeling ourselves because we in New York for the summer, broke as a joke. We, right. <laughs> we just out here trying to make it. And women who we had never met in our lives were like, okay, now baby, well, what what do you need? I left there with books <laughs> for mm. the next semester. Amazing. I had people taking me to lunch for weeks after that when I was like, restaurants that I never even heard of, could never afford to touch with my pinky toe. And these women were like, oh, no, baby, we're going to take care of you. Even after I graduated from Spelman, oh, I, love that. I went to do a master's in London. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, a, I'm in a strange city in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the dollar was like, <laughs> it was almost uh, $2 to a pound. So mm-hmm. my money was short. Real short, <laughs> it, was, right. it was real short. It was right. it was. And I was watching a TV show. Um, it was this like reality show of people having like competing to see who made the best dinner, who hosted the best like dinner at their house. And there was a Spelmanite on this random British show. She was living in London and she like hosted a Southern style dinner um, on the show that I'm watching on TV. And I literally called the um, alumni office at Spelman. I, I, all I knew was her first name from the show, inquired about her. 
They put me in contact with this woman. She had me come over for dinner. For she dinner. bought me groceries when oh I was out there struggling to oh eat. Oh my God, I love this London, story. In London, and literally, like that is Spelman. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. It, it was, it's such a magical, just community. I yeah. feel like everything that black folks do that is, um, that is the, the most, amazing mm -hmm. expression of who we are, it starts with community. So right. that's where I've always built from. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm building from now is a new yeah. platform that we're working on. It's always front and center for me because that's that's who we are. I love that. What do you feel like you have gotten right? What have I gotten right? Um, <laughs> I... I've gotten a few things right. I think the thing that makes me the most happy, I literally was talking to, again, one of my cousins, <laughs> another one of my cousins that lives in New York. I was talking to her earlier this week and she told me, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but you've like changed the entire way that I live my life. Mm. Like everything that I buy, everything that I wear, even just how conscious I am of like just trying to find a black brand or business to support before I go shop is because of you. Right. And like most of what I wear now is from black designers. Mm -hmm. Most of the stuff that I'm just going out to buy casually, I'm like buying black. And I don't know if you realize it, that's like because of you. And I was like, Oh, you're about to make me cry. I'm about to tear up just thinking right. about it. I love but that. it was just so, um, it was so fulfilling because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. That's like, that was the whole goal when I started making my little Google spreadsheet and right. sharing it out with family and friends. Like, okay, just, just try to buy a little bit more black stuff mm -hmm. because the more that you put into black entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and they continue to put into black entrepreneurs, the more we put into ourselves, the more we build that community. Right. Um, it, it That was so amazing to hear mm -hmm. and just coming across people who I've never met who were like, the Nihilist, I know the Nihilist, yeah. I found out about X brand from the Nihilist that I right. love and I bought this and it just, was so good. And it, it is it is the absolute best to know that sometimes it's people I've never met mm -hmm. who are buying things that they found out about from a platform that I created and they're buying things from other people I've never met, mm -hmm. but I'm still able to create this connection and right. this community. It is it is absolutely unparalleled. So I love that. I'm excited to do it on like the next level when we launch mm -hmm. um, later this year. We're building a, a, a socially connected marketplace for Black-owned brands. And it's it's so exciting every day yeah. that we're like in development. And I'm looking at wireframes and I'm yeah. talking to a new brand that's coming on board to, to sell with us. It is like we are... We are really about to be able to to take the the power and the influence and the interest of my partner, mm -hmm. who is so passionate about yeah. this about this community, about building this economy. Really, that's what I, I like to say that we're doing. We're building a yeah. black economy, and to be able to turn on his 
his like bullhorn for folks who barely ever get that spotlight. It's I'm excited. I love it. I love the energy. (laughs) I love every time you speak about it. Khadija, thank you. Thank you for for being here and thank you for building what you're building and just the the impact. I'm like, trying. I'm you're trying. doing. You're doing, girl. I and now it. y'all don't talk bad about us if it's some kinks on the website when it first launched. I mean, it's gonna be a little buggy. We're we gonna get some grace. Everything <laughs> is a little buggy. This is my last thing that I like to say. Like yeah. the thing about community is that there has to be room for. Um, there has to be grace. There has has to be room for growth. And one of the pieces Mm -hmm. that I am working on right now is my current working title is how to support a black owned business that has bad customer service because (laughs) we, we can, we, a lot of times on this journey, I hear people say, well, I tried to support, well, I went to this and I tried to buy from X, Y, and Z when it comes to us, when it comes to black entrepreneurs and they didn't answer the phone. They had a bad attitude. They sent me something and it wasn't X, Y, and Z. And when I tried to return it, they had a little policy and blah, blah, blah. And I want so much for us to remember that there, there has to be grace embedded in this whole concept of community. Yeah, I have had so many bad experiences at whatever big box retailer that the the shelves is looking all kinds of crazy, and the people that work there they got attitudes. They following you around, trying to see what you're doing. They whatever, mm-hmm. and we still go. Nobody's right. ever been like, I had a bad experience at Walmart, so I'm not going to support Target. Because right. they're both owned by not, you know, whatever white or like, no. Right. So I want us to be so much more forgiving and and open to um, allowing the like a, just tiny little bit of trial and error with yeah. constructive criticism and love for our fellow black entrepreneurs. Yeah. Sometimes who are we don't get it right, to make, but. We don't we can make improvements. Right. Yeah. As long as we have good intentions. Now, Absolutely. you know, if if we don't if if you come across somebody who has good intentions, baby, I can't help but blast them. That's bless all I can say. <laughs> no scammers allowed. I hear you. I hear you. No. Well, where can we stay connected with you and also ensure that we are aware as soon as the new marketplace launches? So I am on all of the social medias at Deja Don't Need Ya. <laughs> That's I love been, that's, that's your handle. That's been my Deja handle for a decade plus. Yes. I am on all of the socials there. I probably tweet the most for now anyways. We'll see what happens over the next few weeks as mm-hmm. um, changes happen. But mm-hmm. yeah, you can find me on, on whatever major platforms, Deja Don't Need ya, And I will always keep people plugged in on the latest happenings for for the black folks. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Thank you again. Thank I appreciate you, you so much. Thank also. you for having me. Yes, yes. That's it for this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of I Think I'm Doing This Right. I hope this was your one hour to breathe, connect, relate, and realize you are not alone on one of the greatest self-development journeys there is to embark on, entrepreneurship. Make sure to share this with your other friends who are just trying to figure it out so more of us can have a safe space to learn as we grow. Until next week, remember, 
This journey is all about grit, grace, and gratitude. 